good i'm as good as i ever am that doesn't mean i'm good it just means i'm about as good as i get in an industry where the best solution is just a bigger hammer that doesn't work for laptops computers and microphones uh, am i currently working you're working is everything working fine i think there's there's some evidence there's then that Where's the 24 inch? Is it is it right next to the table? Are you ready to smash something? No, no. Actually, I believe it or not, there's not pipe wrench one in the airplane shop. Uh, I have to go up. What in do the you use for a hammer? Uh, usually a hammer. But I usually, you know, there's not a whole lot of hammering that happens. But if I need to do hammering, uh, you know, I can always I am sitting next to my a toolbox here. You know, I have a number of hammers available to me uh, of different types, right? I could use a wooden mallet, or this is crazy talk, I could use a hammer. No, no, you're, I'm pulling your driller's card if you're, if you're going to use a hammer for a hammer. No, because uh, I'm working on delicate airplanes, and most of the time I use this hammer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Welcome to Driller's Cast. I'm Brock Yorty, and as always, I have my favorite co-host, Dave Bowers, with us. Good morning. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well, except that that... You know, I'm sure you say the same thing to Jake uh, and probably to Jeremy on your other 400 podcasts that you do, which, you know, I, I, I do have a question. You know, we're on New Year's Eve and, and uh, 2022 is coming up. And, and is that going to be the year of the Brock Yordy podcast network taking off where, you know, Brock Yordy is, you know, he's got to, he's got to cover his face coming out of restaurants and stuff because the paparazzi is after him. You know, is this what, is this going to be the year of the Brock podcast? You know, it's, uh, it might be, it's definitely going to be the year of conventions. Um, in, Two weeks, I'm in Casper, Wyoming for Wyoming Groundwater. I'm hitting uh, Texas. I'm hitting Michigan, Kentucky. I'll be at two of the CEU classes in Illinois in April. I'm heading out to Maryland, Delaware again. Uh, good chance I'll be hitting up the New England show. Um, and then obviously Jubilee when summertime comes. Um I'm pretty excited to get to the regional shows and do that. And maybe, maybe I'll do some podcasts, find a, another host. Well, hey, great. 
and then they could be your favorite. It just rings hollow when, you know, you tell everybody that they're your favorite. I mean, I, I was the first that, you know, so I probably really am the favorite. But in any case, uh, the other reason this is going to be the year of shows is the industry discovered shows are profitable again. Right? The, that time off from, from uh, doing shows, I think, was somewhat cathartic to the industry. That the industry said, hey, you know what? What's the new thing? What's Or people waited and wanted to have a face-to-face with uh, the manufacturer, the supplier, whoever it was that they worked with. So I think, uh, you know, it might be the year I of the show anyway. I don't know if it's profitable again but beneficial yes we all need to interact you know i ran into kevin austin with ortman drilling at the igspa part of the ngwa convention and kevin was the project manager for ball state so you know with uh, triton geothermal which was ortman drilling moss drilling and dildon brothers drilling all came together to do the south field of the first phase And it was great seeing them. And then, you know, I saw a lot of folks that I hadn't seen in a while at Nashville, but it did also come with the cost of, you know, the, uh, the virus isn't over, you know, if uh, we know that even at 1201, there's no reset button. Um, I am a fully vaccinated from May and June of 2021 when I was able and then boosted in you know early December, um, there's still a lot of people out there that are deciding their choice on what that is, and that will continue to be what it is, and that will affect shows, and it will in affect amino compromised folks, and it will affect the way we operate, including coming back from a big show and getting tested. And uh, quarantining from people that were worried about, you know, getting infected. Um, There's plenty of breakthrough cases going on. And we don't need to get into the the discussion on science in an industry that fully throws science out all the time and says it's a good day of drilling. It's why I got through what I got through. And we, we do a bad job of looking at, you know, all aspects of it. I think we do the same with this and I don't want to go there. I just know that um, NGWA happened and then, you know, Christmas and New Year's. And if it's uh, January 2nd and you think you got a head cold, it's probably a damn good time to go get checked to make sure you don't have COVID. Because one thing for 2021 for me, my father thought he had hay fever. Or summer allergies. And 25 days later, he was dead. So. Yeah, you know, I, I understand that everybody has COVID fatigue, right? And that's, and I think that's what's real, a lot of what's going on right now. Uh, but what I, I urge everybody to just take a look at numbers, look, what's going on. It, if at the beginning of this thing you acted a certain way 
because you were worried about, um, you know, your, your customers or your family or anything, and you've changed the way you, you interact with people since then, reevaluate and, and go back because, um, you know, the, the all suggestion is that the current variant that's dominant is not as uh, deadly. Um, what's up? Uh, I may just have to change my, my organization is updating my, uh, my unit here at 946. It's going to restart. So uh, that's good times. So we got some folks, we got some folks watching. So if you got to use your phone, um, I'll resend you. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, go ahead and, uh, you may even be able to, you know, don't use your hammer to do this, but sometimes you can join zoom on your phone and then it'll ask you which one will be primary. I'm going to, thank you, Brock. I'm going to try that. Um, but no, like I was saying is that I want people just to take it seriously because no matter if this is is less likely to 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 kill you or not it's much more contagious so i'd like to see our industry uh and and humanity in general do a better job because i think i can speak for everyone listening to this everyone not listening to this that you know let's make 2022 the time we get past it I agree. And so with that, that's it. No more of this crazy virus. We're not Fauci. We're not, we're not those individuals, but it needs to be respected. And uh, as you move to your phone, since uh, your laptop is going to self-destruct, I see a couple people out there viewing. Uh, Why don't you post in the, the, the comment section what what you're looking forward to 2022 um for me the there's just so much drilling about to happen from massive geothermal projects to cathodic to um <clears throat> the infrastructure bill as it materializes and goes forward uh it's this is going to be one heck of a year and 2021 was a was a good year for drilling. Maybe a little weird for everything else, but it was a good year for drilling. Dave, what do you have for students and classes coming up? Uh, well, we're going to probably put a third class of first-year apprentices on this year because the demand is going to be that high, which which will bring our numbers up to to probably 23 or 24 brand new apprentices in drilling in just our area this year. Uh, they believe that the spillover for micropile type work, I'm not going to be able to cover that demand and I'm going to have to do some, some training for uh, historic operator and operator apprentices in order to, to cover that demand. You mentioned the infrastructure bill. Uh, just our area, that that northern Illinois, northern Indiana, and and five counties in Iowa has received nineteen billion dollars of infrastructure money. So think of just all the federal roads 
and stuff that have a bridge over a creek and have this and have that, if they're going to rebuild that, all of that is going to have to be replaced and 90% of it, if they're of any span, wind up with micropile work and different stuff. Wait, Dave, I got a question. Is it creek or crick? Well, where I'm from, it's a creek. Uh, if you get a little bit north of you or west of me, it's a crick. So they just quit learning how to read or what? Well, I'm not going to, I don't, I don't think it's learning. Right. What, how these things happen is one person mispronounces it. Who's teaching other people. And then it becomes a new thing. Right. That's what's really happening. You know, and speaking of uh, teaching other people, this is a great, you know, you just said 24 new apprentices. Um, The only way this works is you let it get back down, you know, the weather shifts, you got to pick a week where it's going to be like 20, 18, snowing, sleeting, you know, maybe the sun comes out and gets uh, just a little bit sloppy in the training field. So those new individuals to our industry get a full dose of what what the drilling industry is like. Uh-oh, Dave switching to his phone. Uh, here, here we go. Yeah, we All just right. switched, right? We just switched, which now they get to see my shop in the background, which is not great because it's a, it's a disaster right now. But I'm going to try to do something a little different here to get it up where there we go. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to turn you up on volume. I apologize for the interrupt here, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, but no, we, uh, there's a fair amount of work out there. And you said that it's going to be a great year. I say it's not going to be a great year. It's going to be a fabulous next five to seven years because infrastructure all that stuff doesn't just happen now right the a lot of this stuff is going to take a little while to to ramp up and it's going to be a big deal uh to to be able to to get on these jobs but we've got to stop looking if if we're slow in whatever area of drilling we decide that we that are our specialty. Endeavor to learn some different stuff or, or, or figure out what else we could do with our rig because there is going to be in our area somewhere a contractor who's swamped. That if we can, you know, I've never done cathodic, but if I learn cathodic and learn uh, uh, a little bit about how to do it, maybe we can go help that guy and make some money if we if all we've done is residential water well and it slows down, or we were a geotechnical driller uh, and it slows down and maybe there's some shallow cathodic work or maybe there's some uh, done. If we venture to learn how to do them and learn what the market is in our area, you know, we can, we can really, 
become a diverse industry right now. Not to say that some companies are, but a lot of companies are are diverse only in uh, in one type of work, and and I think that that is a real goal to have to have over this next few years to diversify because too many companies, when it gets lean in their one thing, wind up starving when there's other work that they could probably go do. I think that's a great point. And I think uh, we need some drillers in your area that are drilling some HDD for 5G because you're still lagging out. Um, but awesome. uh, check your phone to see if your Wi-Fi is on. Um, I, you know, diversification of this industry is insanely important. And I think it's important because there is more ways to utilize our equipment than what we do. And if that's from, you know, doing some cathodic work to jumping into uh, partnering up on a geothermal project like uh, the Triton guys did 10 years ago, um, that stuff's big. But I, I want to throw out the term fake it till you make it for uh 20 like 2022 and moving on through this decade i think it's a terrible terminology i think with the technology we have out there and information at our hands that we can become competent at what we're doing and move into being able to um have the right information. So if I'm going to go do cathodic, I need to make sure I have the right operator's qualifications and I understand my safety policies and understand all the expectations that a Kinder Morgan or Enbridge or any of those folks would have. The same with if I'm going to jump into a geothermal project, I understand that the waste generation I'm going to have daily versus a, a single water well is going to be quadruple. And that those are the things that are going to make or break our project. So I think if if we're going to diversify, do your research and don't lose money. Uh, don't fake it till you make it. You, do the research, study hard, come up with a plan and execute. Well, I think that's what all industry uh, needs to do on every project, even stuff that we're good at, that we, we're used to, right? Make sure that you understand everything you can find out about the project beforehand. Because uh, you love to say prior preparation prevents pop, 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 pop. That's the way you say. It. But really, it comes back to um, uh, if we plan, we can increase profitability. Um, or a lot of times, if we plan, we can decrease loss. And that's more important in drilling because, you know, our profitability is one thing, but we uh, have too many projects that there's potential for loss and that potential for loss, uh, we know those projects, we know the problem zones, we know what we could run into. And so if we don't, uh, as an industry, plan for what that next thing, that next thing that we need to do, what's, what's the, what's plan B, C and D and how can we prepare for it? Um, if we don't say, okay, you know what? We may not need 
uh, to go and bring in that casing advancer, bring in, but you know what, let's make sure we have it on hand uh, so that if we run into that problem zone that, that we're afraid is there, we don't wind up down losing time. Or if we don't have the right tooling for it, you know, maybe we decide, uh, you know, uh, that, that might not be the right project for our company. There's a lot of times where guys get uh, so enamored with the possibility of profit that they ignore the the probability of loss, uh, and that and that happens far too often in the drilling industry. You know, would I once? Uh, was involved with the job that uh, the vice president of the company bid the job. And the reason he bid it is he intended to send myself and another driller from Cedar Rapids, Iowa, who at the time was the lead driller for the company uh, to that project. Cause he knew we would both plan it. And, and it was going to be problems with Smithville, Kentucky. It was going to be some issues. There's going to be some flowing sands, possibility of locking stuff in those kind of things. And um, he was overridden by the board because they had a closer office that they thought would be more profitable. And the reason that uh, he bid it the way he did, he had an idea who he was sending. Well, fast forward uh, a little while, and he had to send me out there to try and stop the bleeding because they were losing their backside. Uh, and they may not have, I can't say they wouldn't have, but they may not have if, uh, if they would have sent the two that they in, intended to, because I can tell you after going there, we would approach things entirely different than the way that they approach things. And so it took a little while for, for us to get that project turned around. And I, I was able to stop the bleeding, but, um, by then it was too late. They, they were already in the hole, you know, a million dollars or more. And, and that, you know, that's just stupidity on their part to, to send people who you didn't know had a plan. You didn't know what their plan was. They were closer, so they that has to be they have to be more profitable because there's not the the same mold charges. That's it, yeah, that's exactly it. it. You we we look at the small costs of the mobilization. You know, it's we we get into this concept that a specific region is going to be more knowledgeable, and uh, that you know, great discussion to start because. At the beginning of 2021, I was part of a, you know, multi-state drilling group that wasn't, you know, it was all owned by one big mothership, big, big mothership, but Indiana operated the way they wanted to, Illinois operated the way they wanted to, Florida operated the way they wanted to, and then the maintenance and service group did whatever they wanted to. Nobody communicated, nobody shared knowledge, you know, it very much is how our industry operates on 
we need to we need to show them that we're we're more profitable and we're better and we're you know instead of it being a conglomerate of all these great minds coming together it was just bigger silos and buffoonery and that's a better word than i've used in april and may of this year when i talked about this same situation um um, you're welcome uh but it 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 takes some checking of your ego to approach a project appropriately and not as a driller. And our, we should just consider drilling and the aspects of what it takes to be a good driller is like a superpower. And um, I always like the, with great power comes great responsibility. Uncle Ben to Spider-Man, Stan Lee's a brilliant dude. Um, but really, if you look at, the concept of everything that's happening in those universes it's the average individual not the individual with the superpowers that you know their their original persona that has to make all the good decisions and be smart and execute effectively when you have the mask on you're standing on the platform all it is is making sure you're making the microsecond decisions that you know, keep you out of trouble, which is what you just talked about with the flowing sands and whatnot. So if I'm to approach a project, the first thing I do is start looking at my, you know, formations. And um, even before that, I drive out and do a site assessment and start having that discussion about what have we considered about the equipment we're going to bring in and the scope of damage we're going to do to this site, even before I start putting bits and rods in the ground. Well, it's the same thing. You and I were once involved on a project together that uh, we did some demo work and whatever out there. Don't want to get into the project itself, but we knew what the formations were and all that. The unknown was there been work there in the past. And what did the company that was there in the past do? I had an idea what they did. So, you know, we brought as many contingencies as we could effectively only because we had to overcome whatever had been done in the past. And it turned out, you know, uh, I I believe on that project you went and had uh, Brielle this is how things and I with Brock and I work. He, he shows up, uh, he says, yeah, let's, let's work. We work for a day or two. And then he goes, Hey, I gotta go. Uh, uh, Chelsea's having a baby. Uh, so then he leaves and leaves me by myself to, to work. And it was hard. And I, I had to do it all by myself. But anyway, no, um, but no, we we tried to bring every contingency. We had an idea. There was a there was a great product uh, that that you would help design. We were going to use. But shortly after beginning the project, we discovered that that our plan A, which was a great plan, was not going to work because of how broken up uh, the overburden had become from 
people air drilling overburden, which is a bad idea when you go use heavy air and overburden. Uh, they had broken at the point where, where basically for the last we were advancing casing with, excuse me, <clears throat> with the hole, we had no chance of using mud. Mud and PDC bits were not going to work. And, and so I still had, I had still had to mud in the overburden and deal with the losses, but, you know, we had to change. We had to advance casing. We had to, uh, we had to go ahead and use a hammer rather than, than the PDC uh, bits for a number of reasons, but it was all stuff that, okay, had we just went out there with just the base setup that we thought we could use, we'd have lost our shirts on that project. You know, it's, it's crazy. I think geothermal out of any of the, uh, out of any of our drilling projects fakes it till it makes it the most. And I believe it's because we go, yeah, I, I drill water wells or yeah, I do this. I do that. HVAC contractor sees what's going on and goes, you know what? It's just an investment in equipment. And then I just need to be able to get a loop in the ground, you know, and we don't, we don't have the discussion about the damage that we're causing. And we hear the stories about the, the high school parking lot that starts having subsidence because of where, you know, where grout is gone and there's, you know, the holes have been, bigger um and now we're coming into this infrastructure bill where we're going to be going into areas that we haven't drilled in for 70 years and uh the greatest generation we can call them the building generation you know what uh out of all the great things they did one thing that i don't think was so great was they buried things in a lot of places that you know by you know, the, the middle of uh, the boomers taking over, they went, wait, you know, what's going to happen in 80 years? Ah, don't worry about it. It'll rust and it'll be gone. But, you know, we have two things going on. Drilling's a disruptive process that we can control some of the disruption, but we also need to start looking at why is this, you know, a, a park or a field in a highly developed area, you know, what's, what is there? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of instances of uh, that just being the, Hey, you know what? And a lot of times there was a land, there was a sale, there was something. And they said, this area don't do anything with, well, the company that, that, polluted it and sold it or donated the land or whatever the case may be to the town uh, that said, Hey, don't do this. That was now 75 years ago. And the, and the people in the town now, all they see is the open land and a developer wants to come in and develop the open land. And you, you know, you don't know what you might run into. We had a, uh, an incident in East Chicago, Indiana, uh, maybe two years ago, where uh, they were they were digging for something. Now that particular area is got a lot of refineries and stuff in it, so they they 
they're no to be careful in that area because you really don't know what you might run into. But they they had a, a, a sewer and water project that all of a sudden guys started not feeling well and they had to shut the job down and do investigations. And, and they talked to a gentleman who was across the street. They knew what was, what was um, the, the facility that was there in the past it was across the street. Um, and they started talking to the neighbors to find out if anybody had been around there. There was a guy that had been a kid and said that, oh, yeah, they used to take drums and they would bury them along the fence line in the berm. Uh, you know, we used to go and bury them uh, just to see what they were and then bury them back. But, uh, you know, so he's telling them this stuff. So then they, they find out that they did have a large environmental problem in this area that they had no idea it became a super fun site. Um, and so their initial, here's what, you know, here's what we were going to do. We have a sewer line to put in now has ballooned into this big Superfund site and a, and a whole cleanup effort and this or that. And now you have the, the public in that area worried about public safety because, okay, well, what's, what's leaching into my basement? What's, you know, uh, what am I being exposed to, uh, you know, especially now we've disturbed whatever was there and it could be moving. And the same thing happens in drilling. If we're drilling and you go through a plume of something, you create a conduit for it to move up and down or, or become airborne. And, uh, you know, we, we have to be cognizant of that anything that we're doing could affect something else. And the, the, the people who are the most vigilant for these kind of things are the environmental drillers because they drill this type of stuff all the time. If you've never done environmental work though, that at a certain depth, the scrape of uh, a scrape of the bit different or something may not set bells off in your head that we've got a problem here. Yeah. It, you know, the first time you're trying to get a chain link fence or a box spring or you know, uh, an old refrigerator, you know, trying to reverse that bit out of there, you 100% have a different respect for when, I, I love it when somebody's like, it's drilling like butter. And then you'll you'll hear somebody go, man, this is drilling like steel. <clears throat> I uh, I know what a rock feels like. I, I, you know, we can hear, yeah, that's that's hard. Maybe our bits, you know, we're starting to lose some teeth on the bit or the bits ineffective. We can't, we can't penetrate that. When you hit steel in the, in the subsurface, you hundred percent know that it sounds like in one of those sci-fi movies when the, or no better yet submarine movie, when the two submarines like narrowly like grind yeah. past each other, that's what it feels like. Well, and that's, that's one of the things I, I, I once had a, a, a new drill that I went to core rock with. It had never core rock before. And uh, I, as soon as a bit touched the rock, she sung. And I thought, mm, I don't, something's going. And I, but I couldn't tell 
Is it in the head? Is it in the hole? Is it so may not be the most profitable for the job thing, but my decision was to make a phone call, get another guy that I trusted out there, uh, which it was, I think, a, a Friday. So we came back on Monday. All right, I could have finished the whole, the whole then. We came back on Monday so that I could have the other person listen to it as well and help me determine, is my hole not perfectly straight? Am I, is it this casing that I'm grinding on? Is it the, because before I put pressure down and we were relatively deep, we were, you know, we were probably a hundred, a hundred, 110 feet before we were starting here. But before I went down at all, I wanted to make sure it wasn't in the head and that, okay, if it's the casing, if I go more than an inch or two and it doesn't stop because I'm just touching the side of the casing, uh, then we're going to shut this down and abandon this hole because there's something here, you know, uh, you don't know, is there, is there an old, uh, in, in, at least in this area in, uh, South Southern Central Illinois, is there a coal mine there? Right, that you're. Are you about to drill into the roof of something? Right, Th those are all the type of thing that should be going through your head if you don't. If you know there's a possibility in that area of, of dealing with that. Now, it maybe I'm just neurotic, which also could be. But uh, you know the. It's it's the mindset that in new areas we kind of have to have, though, because and what do you like to say that we're doing? It doesn't really matter. We discover what? The unknown. Right. But it should be relatively known to us. We should, ah, have, an idea. We should I, have an idea of what we could hit. Different formations. Great. Right. That's different. But we should have an idea that, hey, uh, if if at all possible, that there's a possibility of uh, that there might have been a landfill here. There's there's uh, there's coal mines around in this area or, uh, you know, I should, I believe, be hitting sandstone or limestone or what at about this depth. If it's different. Okay, but at least we had an idea going in what we should what we should encounter. I I completely agree. Having the research, we're a first world nation. This isn't like um, our friend Ishmael who's going to go back and drill in you know Somalia or you know some of the projects the Red Horse guys have done where we ha we have very little other than topographical ideas of what what we're going to encounter um for me it's it's no different than fall protection or confined spaces or anything else and somehow i just brought it to safety for a second but i say discovering the unknown because if things are going smooth we can continue but if i'm skeptical any situation you know i'm not going to hit that power line I'm not going to punch through the rail car in South Bend, Indiana. That was, you know, a old rail junkyard that had 80 feet of overburden on it because 
when we thought that felt like it was drilling like steel. Guess what? Yeah. And um, mad props to any drilling crew working in the Chicago land area. I feel like New York, um, the oldest parts of New York city is really hard to get anything drilled in. And I feel like the, if we were looking at the second largest city, LA, uh, again, you're, uh, with everything going on and, uh, faults and that type of stuff you know you you really know what you're setting up but you go to your city that's burned down twice you know well, it's location 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 right right um it's it takes a different breed to wanna brock did i lose you i don't think so did you lose me this is always good for podcast. Um, I'm going to continue to talk because I believe Dave has lagged out and he'll come back in a minute. Uh, There was a couple big projects in Chicago that have been part of in the last couple of years. One of which um, as they were doing the research for the Obama library and they knew they were going to have to drill some overburden and some garbage. And uh, we got Dave back. So I was talking about your city burning down twice and all of the unknowns that you can encounter all over the city. So what we're really talking about now is fire backfill, which is awesome, right? Fire backfill, uh, all those Chicago drillers have, have, uh, have experienced it, but uh, you know, your, your top some in some places, as much as your top 30 feet, keeping any hole, any degree of straightness when you have loose fill uh, and then boulders and bricks and anything else that they just shoved into the hole in there loose with it it becomes a challenge. Um, What, 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 what is fire backfill? Is it just the, everything that's the rubble? How do you, how do you build on top of that? Well, you, how they, I can tell you two ways to build on top of it. The original way they built on top of it is they stripped everything off the backfill and everything. But see then like think of the uh, museum of science and industry, they stripped everything down to about, uh, about 30 or 40 feet. And then they came in with actually wood mats, creosote wood mats, and they matted in different directions uh, back up. Uh, believe it or not, that was supposed to be a temporary building. But anyway, they matted everything back up to a grade that they could build on. So basically, it's a spread foundation. Did they and, did they just take all that garbage and push it into Lake Michigan? Yes, everything just the the Chicago grew. I forget the number. It's like it's thirty something. 30,000 square feet of shoreline or something. I, I forget. They, they, they increased their shoreline by like, you know, uh, 10 or 15% uh, by just when things burnt, when everything burnt down, they just pushed everything out in the lake and, and, and built more land. 
Um, and it's and, then, just, and then we pull we pull out of that lake for public water supply. You're fine. It's uh, actually the town that I live in is currently, and I was a little dismayed by this. The town I live in, the uh, and two other towns are now considering going to Lake Michigan water and abandoning their wells. And uh, they have a they have a they have a, have a radon problem. I understand, but um, I just I don't get how it's cheaper to pipe the water in rather than you know but somebody somewhere is out selling uh long pipe and we don't do a very good job of selling uh, uh now there's a challenge for you you want to have a challenge uh uh national industry leaders right nwga put together a effective um campaign for for selling water well uh to these lot what what for water well are large municipalities right so you're not going to get the city of chicago you're probably not going to get you know places like that but when you look at the suburbs like where i live you're still looking at a town that might have you know four hundred thousand people and they're still on a, they're still on a well system and you know, it's hard uh, between the three towns. I we're probably you know 200 and 260, 270,000 people between the three towns that we're talking about, and you know all of them were still operating well systems. And you know if they if they close that down, how much work is that for our industry doing? Even just coming in and doing pump maintenance, doing those kind of things. Uh, we're not selling the advantage of water well compared to, uh, and really we have the perfect scenario to sell it. We so really here's do- the deal. If, if I'm going to, if I'm going to drink, let's say I have a gallon of water that I want to drink today while I'm working outside. Um, I'm going to put a lid on it. I'm not just going to leave it open as I'm uh, doing some of the last of the honey to do list as I'm, I'm cutting some, uh, some one by fours. We're building out the mud room, those type of things, because sawdust is going to get in my gallon of water. You know, uh, Chelsea's going to come back from getting stuff for new year's Eve from Trader Joe's and the Telluride's going to drive by and splash some slush and mud into my water, you know? And so here I got this gallon jug open top. I'm going to have a lid on it. And anybody that tells me like, obviously the great lakes is a vast resource of fresh water that has to be, you know, pulled, treated, and then pushed out to the masses. It's an unconfined aquifer. I a hundred percent want a confined aquifer, not to mention, we just had a discussion about Maybe we just pushed, uh, you know, two full-size cities into into the the coast. Uh, as I drive on any of the Great Lakes, the same with some of the massive rivers we have in our country, what do I see? I see refineries. I see former paper mills. 
I see former lots of unregulated things. You know, it wasn't more than 50 years ago that, you know, the Cuyahoga River caught on fire, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Traverse City, during their largest lumber, which all of that lumber got, you know, cut down and shoved to Chicago, you know, pushed all of the unused wood into the bay. And there's all this petrified wood and all kinds of other stuff in the bay. We have massive cleanup to do. We haven't even gotten into microplastics or any of the unique things that end up in these lakes that we have to fix, you know, and if we could grab our buddy, Tom Howe, or many of our great, you know, hydrogeology students that we've had out for your facility for, you know, hydro field camp, we start talking about that. There should be a no brainer on where do I want to pull my water source? If, if I need to um, live in a place that water's inobtainable, then, then I'm going to consider surface water, but you know, mother nature is the greatest filter we have and being in a confined aquifer that we can control that water quality and we can do those, you know, testings and treatment. It's always going to be a better option than pulling from a massive surface water. So I don't, that's the, that's the campaign, right? Well, not only is that the campaign though, but we have to get it out to the uh, local councils because they don't necessarily, somebody's there selling long pipe saying, this is what we need to do because it's going to save us money and this, and I, I don't know how they're how exactly they're selling it, but what we need to do is have someone there saying, "Hold on, you're losing control, and you you may not save money, right? Because now we're dependent on wherever you get your long pipe from. They could decide whether we get water or not. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah, here's the sense." I can look at it. We use the terminology a lot. I'd rather be looking at it than looking for it. Pulling water out of a massive source where the only unknown is where do I set my pipe to be able to pull it in? And I can see it, right? I can, I can HDD, I can tunnel. You know, we look at what what we're able to do with, you know, tunneling to be able to run electric, gas, other infrastructures under large bodies of water. The drill, the aspect of discovering the unknown is a lot less uncertain than constructing a water well in a 3,000 foot, you know, the lower Floridian, you know? So that's where it comes into as, hey, our big kid HDD construction company steps in and says, I know it's going to be a million dollars to run this line from here to the facility. 
Oh, what about overruns? Yeah, you know what? We could end up being a million five. And then we bid a water well project that is also that. And the big question comes into how many gallons a minute? What is my specific capacity? What is my yield? How often do I have to rehabilitate this? It's way easier to, you know, push water than it is to pull water, right? It's going to, that line's going to come in down gradient, you know, however they set it up, you know, we can engineer all that stuff. Now we throw a drilling company in where we are good at getting water, but we have to prepare for the unknowns. We have to understand what we're going to get into. And we go, yeah, you know what? You might get 1200 gallons a minute, or you might get 4,000 gallons a minute. And that's why the pipelines win is because it's a given. It's uh, when I get on I-94 here in Kalamazoo, I know I'm going to run 70 miles an hour until I get to, you know, the Illinois border. And then at some point there, there's going to be some construction and traffic from the third largest city that's going to slow me down. That is not even close to true. Because It's going to be Gary. It's going to be Gary when I get slowed down. You're not going to reach the border. It's going to be Gary where you're going to slow down. Um, but no. Uh, yeah, I just think we need to do a better job and I and control has to come into that. Having control over over your own resource rather than somebody else. Um, you know, water well is is a I it's not a dying breed but the industry is it will allow itself to be uh curtailed uh if they don't find a way to have a better voice and I I think that's really all I'm after is say hey you know because not everybody has the resource that that even our towns do you know that's still 40 miles of pipe well, if they were landed all the way, but they won't be landed all the way. They'll be connecting somebody else's. But, you know, that's still a lot of pipe being put in in order to have that happen. But if you're further out a little ways from that large source of water, um, you know, water well is still the, the best option. But I think that we have to do a a better job of explaining to to the general public the advantages of, of well rather than than surface water like you said the you know hey no one has well actually i can't even say that anymore so we have some injection wells here from some from some uh, chemical facilities that are injecting uh stuff into into caverns and this or that where there's less known on on you know what's where things could be going but uh you know william smith just piped in and said water quality and well design should always include geophysical logging this will eliminate the unknowns and i i fully agree uh with william uh it's it's 100 about the well design this year i got to go to the groundwater and wells course taught by tom hannah and mike schneiders and you know, Fred Rutledge and all the guys that have contributed to the Groundwater and Wells book. And it was it was a great discussion. 
it's um it's like you've said dave it's advocating it's advocating you know um who's who's got the the best vision and message it doesn't even have to be the best design if we look at silicon valley and uh you see some of the things that come out of silicon valley the things that went out weren't necessarily the most elegant design or the most efficient for us. They were who had the best backing and vision and could, you know, guarantee what, what they're going to have. I think the best is probably, you know, VHS and beta back in the day, you know, it was VHS wasn't superior, you know? And I think, for an industry that the average rig age is somewhere between 90 and 94, I think it's more appropriate for me to talk VHS and beta than to talk Blu-ray versus HD or, you know, the different technologies out there. But you're, you're right, William. Uh, we do. And in a first world civilization, we hundred percent have a ton of that data. And, uh, then we end up blaming either the drilling process for screwing up our production or the theoreticals of looking at that, those logs and saying that I want 200 foot of screen because that, that little bit of dirty formation that we see within there isn't going to be a big deal. And then we get into starting to pump and we have, you know, ultra fines that we can't screen out. There's, those are the things that they're always going to come back and say, you know, um, the life cycle of a pipeline versus life cycle of the well, I think is really what we get into. And I can uh, grab my book, Dave talk. I want to grab a book. (laughs) So really, I mean, I think there's, there's case to be made for both, but the life cycle of, of that well um, can be so much more than what, but the problem is that when they ask about what the maintenance and what, you know, it, it comes back to that word that we say all the time. Well, it depends. Right. Depends and, or and diapers? No, always depends. Right. But it depends. There are so many variables, and um, I still believe it's probably the the best uh, resource that we can get. Um, it's the best way to draw that resource, in my opinion, uh, to ensure its quality. And really, I think maybe that's what we should be selling is the quality that we're able to to get. And then, you know, but then you wind up with, well, it depends on where you are. How deep can they go? Dep- you know, um, I, I've been uh, worried about California for a number of years, as, as they well are as well. But I've been worried uh, for a lot of different reasons. Um, as their groundwater, as their suitable groundwater is dropping, um, a lot of people who saw it as a financial um, opportunity to get involved in drilling 
got involved that I was like, Ooh, you don't have any background in this. It's going to, it's, it's going to be a scary proposition for you. And I, I know a few of those companies that have survived and done well, but it's always, and it's the same thing with geothermal where I always were like, you know what, because you may not take this as seriously as that, is that uh, historic water well driller. There's potential for, if you're nonchalant, us impacting an aquifer that's already, it's already stressed. And when that happens, and this is, this has already killed geothermal once and, and hopefully it won't again, but you know, geothermal took a, a big hit in the seventies, uh, that, and then fuel prices came back down, but took a big hit in the seventies because they, they just, they did some damage in the, uh, to some aquifers and they got a bad name. Uh, and then the prices of, of, uh, of fuel dropped, uh, natural gas and those kind of things. And it made it less, desirable it wasn't any, any less profitable it wasn't any less um efficient but it made it less desirable well if water well were to have the same thing kind of thing happening because uh you know we had somebody not do a good job especially in an area uh it, like the central valley that that is so stressed right now and their aquifers is just diving. Uh, diving might be too strong a word, but it's dropping pretty dramatically. It's diving. It's diving. <laughs> and I think you, uh, I think you just came up with our topic, our first topic of 2022. Um, you know, start of season three of Driller's Tribe, uh, Driller Cast, is really you know this full discussion on. Um, the dichotomy between pipeline and and water well and the big one and of course because i have a background oh, oh, on your chest there this you is go. tom hannah mike schneiders um john schneiders and my son is behind me bo yorty go downstairs now thank you buddy um uh, they want treats. They're mutinying. Uh, anyway, 2016, a book was written called Operational Stages of the Well. Well fields, water wells do not have to last 30 to 40 years anymore. You know, with 316L stainless, the designs, geophysical logging, the collaboration between hydrogeologist and engineer and a good drilling company. And I don't know if that drilling company has to be a hundred years old to have gotten it. I think you have to embrace science on top of that engineer and hydrogeologist understanding the expertise and the, the investment in the equipment to be successful as a water well drilling company. But water wells can last 80 years now. And if they're taken care of properly and they have a maintenance program like anything else, they can be a utilized tool in a confined aquifer that is a much more controlled X factor than we're ever going to get with surface water. You know, and I think you're, you've given us a beautiful topic to start, you know, 2022 with. 
I should really quit right now, though, then. So that that would be the high point right there in 2022. I have no more low points, and, and we could get out. But no. Uh, um, so you're saying I got to find another co-host so that we can I, have a scientist. You already, already threatened it earlier in the show anyway. Uh, no, but we we really uh, we should bring on some some somebody to to assist us in that discussion since you know uh, the science of water well is not my strong forte. Um, I you're you're much uh, more versed in some of that, but uh, you know I make up for in lack of scientific knowledge of this stuff, I'll make up for it in passion for the pro- creativity. For the, uh, Let's just call it creativity. <laughs> All right. So I think we, I think we have a plan for, for the first drillers tribe of uh, 2022. I think that that's a good idea. Um, All right. So two where, questions. Hold on. Hold on. Where where would you like to see what what meaningful change would you like to see in 2022 in our industry just something that's that's doable that you could see that change uh i've said 2022 is the year of the employee we've talked the great resignation I have now talked the Jubilee and the National Groundwater and a couple of the regional shows, and we'll continue in 2022 talking about hiring the 21st century employee, that being Gen Z, um, looking, prepping us now to be able to work with and hire and mentor Gen Alpha on top of that, who just came up and mutinied because they know I have candy in a drawer up here. Um, We got to find a better way to cultivate a new group of men and women. And it can't just be, oh, you don't want to work in the mud and slop in the ice and your bad back and uh, horrible hours. And we've had this discussion a million times, but if we're going to fight the pipeline, if we're going to you know, progress this industry, if we're going to staff the infrastructure bill that's happening, we need to start grabbing those 17, 18 year old men and women that are excited and getting them to, by the time they're in their mid twenties, they are leading teams and we trust them with two and a half million dollars worth of the equipment. It's the only way we're going to grow. So that's for me. What about you, Dave? I stole yours. I No, yeah, you did. Uh, that's fine. Uh, I, You know, I hope to see our industry uh, this year really start working on developing meaningful training. Meaningful training uh, that is accessible to the industry. And that doesn't have to be something that you and I uh, are involved with. I think they're trying with some of this stuff, but I, I, I think that I'd like to see our industry overcome the cynicism that our our rank and file show towards training. Uh, and the only way that we do that is that 
you know, the companies, uh, there's, there become some benchmarks the companies would like to meet. And it, it dovetails right into what you're talking about. Because if there's benchmarks that these are, I don't know if they're certificates or whatever, that is our minimum, and we're going to assist you in, in, uh, in receiving these and, and whatever the case may be. But there's meaningful training behind every single task that we do that's just not, well, this is what Joey showed me, so this is what I do. Uh, and part of that is, is maybe... Maybe we need maybe we need some touchstones, some benchmarks of what the minimum knowledge of whatever task is. You know, Dave, uh, that's better than mine. <laughs> uh, you're right. Both of our points go hand in hand. Training is expensive. And it's so expensive that it's costing our industry everything. And to that point, I started talking about traveling to some conventions this year and conventions are Wednesday, Thursdays. You know, it's not like they're Friday, Saturdays. Uh, I'm going to burn up two thirds of my vacation going to conventions. I don't work for a major water well drilling company anymore. You know, I do the same as you, we both write for the driller and we love this industry and I will always be part of this industry. Um, but nobody's paying my airfare. You know, I'm, I'm heading out there to do some of these talks because they're that important. And we have other good men and women out there doing talks, you know, um, Jeff Williams and buddy Sebastian and you, and we have, a lot of people that <clears throat> it isn't like we work for the manufacturer. We work for a massive company that says, yeah, it's to your benefit to be out there. Yeah. It's to my benefit because I get to meet everybody and I get to uh, have some better stories and get to do some stuff with the driller and the driller 100% helps support getting me to some of these places, but training, credible training that has new topics and difficult conversations and relevancy is expensive because it's not the same. Let's talk about how to pH adjust chlorination for disinfecting a screen, or let's talk about DOT or those things. Those things are all important, but that's, we're just going to have to invest. We're going to have to invest in people. We're going to have to invest in trainers because- hey. I had a huge uh, conversation with a number of uh, organizations uh, at this, the National Groundwater Show about just this, trying to put a conglomeration together, just an idea of it, of manufacturers, because the only way we're going to fund this, it's going to have to be through the manufacturers, the foundation industry has been doing it for years where they, they do their draws school and uh, you know, all the manufacturers get together for this. It's, you know, I believe it's a 10 day, 10 day or week long school, depending on what, which year they do it. But, uh, and 
and they they go through that stuff and the manufacturers who don't normally donate anything donate equipment they donate the because they know it's that important uh to their industry we need to do similar things in our industry uh whether it's in conjunction with the the shows or what what they do we need to do those similar things so that we can start to establish those minimum those minimum proficiencies uh, uh, that each level takes and standardize it across the industry. Agreed. That's, that's the important thing. If we standardize what, you know, a mud driller needs to know across the industry, it helps our companies as well. Because when a guy leaves and said, Oh yeah, I was a driller here. Okay, you have a cert. It helps our it helps our employees because there's something they can go to that says this is my my documentation that shows I know what I'm telling you I know. Um, and that's where we run into a lot of problems. If you read things right now, uh, you know, oh nobody can get a helper. Well, okay, nobody can get a helper for what you would like to give a helper or is there no helpers available? Because if you also look, there's always somebody posting, hey, I would love to to go. I was a helper here. Is there any work out there? So, you know, we have it has to be both ways. It has to be a, um, a minimum knowledge base and then we have to reward that minimum knowledge base. I think that's a perfect point to wrap up on. Um, everybody have a awesome New Year's Eve. And uh, tomorrow we hit the reset button on what we can do to be a better industry for 2022. And let's keep being smart. And uh, we drill to discover the unknown to progress civilization. It's it's the given. Nothing gets started without us figuring out what's in the subsurface and how we provide that information, those resources back to humanity. Take it away, Dave. Well, I just wanted to say Happy New Year's to everybody um, and be safe, uh, not only uh, this evening, but uh, this upcoming year. And that means uh, safe in every way. Keep, you know, all your fingers and toes and everybody healthy and happy. Uh, have a great new year. I'm glad I could spend this morning with you, Brock. Uh, I'm glad I could spend the morning with all of you that are online right now. Uh, we will see you sometime uh, early in 2022. Absolutely. Thanks, everybody. Bye.